Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's jump into the news today. We have four stories to talk about, the first of which is about Dune. Dune Part 2 has officially been greenlit by Legendary. This movie is supposed to be coming out in October of 2023, which is relatively quick for a movie of this size and scale. And we were talking on yesterday's podcast about the potential of a sequel and how the cast is really huge and sprawling and is made up of, you know, some of the biggest and busiest and and best actors working today. So uh, it looks like Denis Villeneuve will have to, um, you know, work some magic to, to be able to meet that deadline. Um, I understand that, uh, you know, some of the reporting says basically like part of the, the discussions here were that uh, this deal hinged on Villeneuve wanting Dune Part 2 to be available only in theaters instead of day and date on HBO Max, uh, which I sort of expected, um, especially considering how hard he sort of fought against the uh, the HBO Max day and date thing for this first part and that, you know, this movie is going to be coming out in a couple years and hopefully uh, the, the pandemic will be uh, more under control than it is now. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, any thoughts here, Brad? I don't think you've had a chance to see Dune yet. Are you excited about it? Are you putting it off or dreading it? What do you think? Uh, no, so I haven't watched it yet just because I haven't had the time. I want to make sure I'm just, you know, ready to sit down and, and watch it. Um, probably not going to make it to theaters. I, I might try to see just because I've, I've started to maybe want to go to public screenings instead of just doing the private screenings and we couldn't get enough friends together to go see Dune just because it's not quite as wide appealing you know as uh you know a, a more mainstream blockbuster i guess you could say mm-hmm. um but i i'm excited to see it and i'm i'm even though i haven't seen the uh this first one i'm very happy they decided to do the sequel since it's been widely publicized that this is basically the first half of the first book um in the the dune series of novels so i'm glad that we're not just getting uh you know half of the story and they won't be able to finish it it's good to know that they'll be doing the sequel 
Yeah, you'll be especially glad in the closing seconds of the first movie because it is extremely abrupt uh, how it comes to an end. So yes, I think uh, everybody who's seen this first movie um, or, or part one rather will uh, will yeah be, probably be rejoicing at this news. So I, I'm excited. When, that's when Doctor Dune shows up, right? <laughs> Doctor Dune, amazing <laughs> character. I love it. Uh, I don't even even I don't even need to know anymore, Brad. Like, give me a, a full HBO Max spinoff about Doctor Dune. I'm, I'm in. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, James Wan, who's the director of Aquaman and The Conjuring and several other giant movies. He, at one point, was going to be directing a spinoff of Aquaman, and some news has come out recently about that. Tell me about that, Brad. Yeah, so uh, after Aquaman came out, we had heard there was going to be a spin-off, spin-off movie that was focused on uh, the trench. It's this very uh, dark, dangerous environment underwater where these nasty creatures come out, uh, and there's a very cool sequence, probably the coolest sequence in the entirety of Aquaman, uh, where these gnarly creatures attack um, Aquaman aboard a ship, and there was supposed to be some kind of spinoff based on those monsters and that world. Uh, however, uh, as we recently found out in an Instagram comment from James Wan, uh, after he posted some photos of Black Manta from behind the scenes of Aquaman and Lost Kingdom, uh, he told a ra- random fan who asked a question in the Instagram comments that the Trench spinoff movie was actually going to be a secret Black Manta movie. So we actually would have gotten a spinoff that focused more on uh, Yahya Abdul-Madin, the second's character from Aquaman, uh, giving us a little bit more insight into his character. So that sounds kind of cool to me. I know that, um, you know, there's been some talk about this in our uh, sort of internal Slack channel and and the... uh, I guess the consensus was like, as long as this would have been, I mean, this is obviously, this is something that's not happening right now. So we're all just talking in, in, you know, speculation terms right now, uh, an alternate universe, alternate timeline where this actually happened. But like, as long as this could have been something that, um, that didn't sideline the trench stuff, but actually just incorporated, uh, black Manta into it. That sounds kind of cool. Did, was that, um, were you part of that consensus consensus Brad is that where you stand on this thing you you want a little bit of like like equal time for both of those things or do you think that um black manta might be a, a deeper exploration into black manta might be cooler than uh fully exploring trench stuff what do you think yeah so i mean when that was announced i i was wondering how you can have a full movie about the trench without having like a specific character to to focus on to kind of flesh that out it seemed kind of Um, like half an idea but knowing that this was always supposed to be you know a secret black manta movie that kind of sets up the idea that black manta had some kind of experience with the trench and it probably would have been something akin to james wan doing a a horror version of a comic book movie based Mm -hmm. on you know what we saw in that sequence in aquaman i would imagine that it would be something kind of like you know this uh a villain slash anti-hero you know versus these terrible creatures from from underwater which would have been something very cool to see yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. But like when he says this was going to be a quote secret Black Manta movie, I, I, what do you think that? I mean, again, we're just we're talking about alternate universe stuff here. But do you think that that would have been that secret part would have been kept a secret for like how far down the line? Like, would this have been marketed as just a pure trench movie, and then like you go and sit down in the theater, and suddenly Black Manta is the main character, and you're like, whoa, holy shit, what's going on? What do you think that that uh, term means? Yeah, I think that maybe it was just no one knew that it was actually a Black Manta movie, and no one would have known until the time came to reveal it, whether it was in like the teaser trailer or. In uh, you know, just uh, however, you know, trade reporting, marketing leading up to the movie, because mm-hmm. I can't imagine you can sell 
a movie about the trench without a star and without a character to focus on. So unless there was another character that they used that like led you into what would have been the reveal of Black Manta being part of the movie, I feel like at some point they would have had to have marketed this as it's not just a trench movie, it's a Black Manta movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so talking about uh, comic book movies, let's talk a little bit about uh, Eternals 2. And before we get to that, let's talk about Eternals 1. I have not seen this movie yet, but you had a, actually had a chance to see it, what, yesterday, right? Yeah, I just saw it last night at a press Okay, screen. so uh, spoiler free, what did you think about Eternals? I think it's pretty good. Um, I'm not over the moon for it. Uh, I think it takes some, uh, a lot of people have been saying this, and I uh, will use the same phrase, it takes some big swings. Easily the most epic movie that Marvel has done yet. And I mean that, you know, in every sense of the word, it is very grand in scope. Um, but because it's so big, it kind of, it's, it's a little bit clumsy as far as its execution. It has a hard time getting in a groove and finding the right tone. And there's a lot of jumping around between different time periods. And while it works, you know, with the cross cutting and like explaining certain characters backgrounds before something significant happens with them, um, you know, on, on some levels, it just feels like it's a little bit messy and maybe trying to do too much. And a lot of that's just because there are, you know, 10 characters that this movie focuses on. And while mm-hmm. it does have a few who are the main characters, um, it's still a lot to to digest. But uh, it's it's beautifully shot. I know the movie had, has been getting some flack because it's like, oh, look at all these characters standing in fields. And sure, there are some shots of that, but there are also absolutely gorgeous shots, landscapes, things like that. Um, that, you know, as we've talked about, are actually practical and not created with visual effects. And they, they look um, amazing. You know, they, they, they don't feel like they were created um, with a, a green screen, with, with digital effects or anything like that. And a lot of them we haven't seen in the marketing because some of these beautiful shots would reveal certain things about characters, certain scenes, story details that they're probably not ready to reveal yet. So, mm-hmm. um, But it's uh, a very, very well-made movie. I, I think what, the thing I appreciated about it the most is that it has more humanity, I think, than any other Marvel movie, which is surprising because it deals with these, you know, characters from the cosmos, you know, who aren't really human at all, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the, what Chloe Zhao does with those thematic elements is, is impressive. But the, um, the movie itself, it just it never quite fully feels uh, like it entirely came together, but it has a lot of great um, things within it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm still excited to see it. Uh, that sounds like you still like enjoyed it overall, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Still still very much an enjoyable movie. Okay. So uh, Eternals 2. Uh, Chloe Zhao basically said, somebody asked her if she would work with Marvel again, if she wanted to come back for Eternals 2. I'm not going to read her whole quote here, but I would be back in a second working with the team at Marvel for sure. We'll see is the, the gist of it. Um, that seems like something that you know, pretty much every Marvel movie director says, I think Kate Shortland said something similar after Black Widow. Uh, so Brad, like having seen Eternals and you just mentioned that you thought Chloe Zhao did a, a pretty good job, like blending some of these elements. Do you think that she is a good fit for the MCU? Like I having seen her first, uh, uh, addition to this giant sprawling interconnected universe. Um, in some levels, yes. I think that, one of the the issues with Eternals is um, the because the movie is so epic in scale and deals with such grand ideas and powerful emotions. Uh, it, it sometimes makes the comedic elements that are common in Marvel movies feel a little bit out of place, and they maybe don't always land as firmly as they should. And I think part of it is probably because Chloe Zhao isn't necessarily a comedic filmmaker, mm-hmm. and so. Um, 
may, hopefully maybe this experience will has like helped her in that regard and maybe it'll make if uh, her directing a sequel a little bit easier second time around or maybe they'll realize that they don't necessarily need to inject as much comedy um but i feel like she she's very much skilled to do another movie like this uh, however based on certain events that i won't talk about both as far as the ending and the credit scenes i can't help but wonder if maybe there might be a director who might be better suited than Chloe Zhao to, hmm. to tackle it because it seems like with after establishing the Eternals and their history in the MCU and their place in the universe that a, a different director might need to take the reins because it feels like the franchise would head in a slightly different direction. Okay, I appreciate the vagueness. I have no idea what you're talking about, but uh, hopefully, um, you know, people are, are uh, sufficiently teased there. So yeah, we, that's something that we will definitely address extensively uh, at the weekend that the movie comes out, because I guarantee a lot of people will be looking for information about the ending and the two credit scenes there are uh, after the movie. Gotcha. All right. So in, in that same interview, uh, the interviewer asked if Chloe Zhao would be interested in directing a Star Wars movie because Kevin Feige, the, the head of Marvel Studios, is currently developing one. I think he's technically producing uh, his own Star Wars movie. And she said that she would, quote, do anything Kevin asked me to do. So uh, Brad, as a, a sort of one of the resident Star Wars nerds on SlashHelm.com, what do you make of uh, Chloe Zhao potentially stepping into the Star Wars universe. I actually think Chloe Zhao would have a much easier time uh, blending into the Star Wars universe because even though Star Wars does have its um, fleeting moments of, of humor, it's definitely a much uh, a series that's more geared towards her filmmaking sensibilities, especially when you consider what she does with the Eternals as characters here. Um, the the scope of this movie and the, the thematic elements and emotion that it deals with, they feel much more in tune with star Wars than I think the rest of the, the MCU. So her doing, doing some kind of star Wars movie, I think would be uh, a, a real treat, especially considering uh, the kind of visual she brings to the table. Awesome. All right. So our final story of the day involves the introduction or the almost introduction of the guardians of the galaxy, which, um, you know, debuted in a feature film back in what was that? 2014, I think. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, we've learned recently that that was not uh, the in, the original plan for how these characters were going to be introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So tell me about that, Brad. Indeed. Yeah, this is a story that came out of the story of Marvel Studios book about the making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've uh, we featured a variety of stories from that book recently on SlashFilm.com, just some interesting behind-the-scenes tidbits about a lot of the movies uh, in the MCU. Uh, and this is one of them. Uh, during the development of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, this was um, you know a superhero team that no one really knew about from Marvel Comics. It was very obscure. Only the most hardcore Marvel Comics fans knew who they were. General audiences had no idea. And even before the movie started shooting, there was this perception that because these characters were so uh, so much lesser known, that this had the potential to be Marvel's first big bomb after having such huge successes with Iron Man and Thor and Captain America and, and of course, the Avengers. Mm -hmm. So there was some concern about this, and, and Marvel knew that, that they needed to try and get fans uh, interested and engaged by explaining who these characters were. And the initial plan to do that was to introduce them in a series of Marvel one-shots. Now, if you don't remember, 
Marvel used to make these short films that they would release on home video in between movies that kind of filled narrative gaps, uh, did some retconning here and there, and just kind of had some fun with some of the supporting characters uh, in between movies. They were often on uh, Blu-ray releases of each of the Marvel movies, and they haven't really done them for a while, with the exception of those short films that Taika Waititi did for Thor Ragnarok uh, involving Thor uh, living with uh, a roommate named Daryl. Those were the, the last ones to really kind of be one-shot short films for Marvel. But uh, the all the uh, Guardians would have been introduced through these one-shots that would have been released with the preceding Marvel films that were, came in theaters before Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and so it would have been separated by giving one to Drax, one to Rocket and Groot, one to Gamora, and then the fourth one wouldn't have... Uh, explained that it was about Star-Lord. It would have instead seemed like a self-contained short film about a, quote, mysterious kid who loved fantasy things. And then when you saw Guardians of the Galaxy, you would realize that that kid had grown up to become Star-Lord hmm. in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, it's an interesting idea, but um, as Feige says in the book, they felt like it was just too much to, to try and pull off. And then on top of that, James Gunn really didn't feel like he had the wherewithal to do something like that because he would have had to have planned and directed four different short films while planning the shoot for guardians of the galaxy. And that is a lot for anybody to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like uh, this was a smart uh, thing to avoid just because it probably would have been too much. And who knows if it would have really worked, you know um, you, you would have to have, you know, somehow made sure that audiences, you know, saw all the preceding Marvel movies yeah. and then, you know, hope that they understood what was going on. But uh, yeah, so I, it all worked out in the end. Now Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the most popular franchises in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's kind of incredible that everyone knows, you know, Star-Lord and Gamora and Drax and Rocket and Groot now. And uh, they're excited to see the the next installment. So there you go. Yeah, James Gunn, he tweeted, uh, we shot footage for one of the scripts, Rocket and Groot, part of which was the first shot of Rocket shooting a machine gun on Groot's back that we showed at San Diego Comic-Con. And I feel like that shot ended up in the trailer maybe for for the first movie um, and, yeah. and maybe was like slightly reworked to happen during that prison break sequence if i'm remembering correctly it's yeah. been a little bit since i've seen the first movie but um but yeah that's that's a really i mean so it sounds like feige was just like this is too much right but do you think that if this had happened brad that like people would have understood what was going on because like we have the benefit of hindsight now and knowing that like the movie itself was fine and did a good job of introducing these characters as it was but do you think that uh this sounds like, I mean, it's so different from the way that Marvel normally um, operates as a, as a studio. Yeah, it would have been a completely different approach uh, to introducing characters that they've ever done before. And I, if they had done it, I wonder if it would have been a formula that they continued to follow whenever they were planning on introducing, you know, characters that were a little more obscure. But I think it always works better if you just... It, figure out a way to introduce characters in the movie. You know, you want to make them endearing in the story that's being told and to have to rely on, you know, that extra information just feels like it means that like maybe the movie isn't as good if you don't know those kinds of things, you know, like if, if these are important details about these characters, you figure out a way to fit them into the narrative and make it part of their, their character introduction and development. So on one hand, I agree with you, but on the other hand, like the entire existence of the Disney plus lineup of shows seems to fly in the face of that, of that mentality. Right. Because like, there are so many things that are going to be happening 
in shows like Loki and, and several of the other things that have already come out that are going to spill over into these movies that, that I think it's going to be really, really tough for people to only watch the MCU movies and still have a full grasp of what's going on. Do you agree or disagree with that? I, I agree to an extent, but I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe today is even more intertwined and interconnected than it was back in 2014. You know, this was um, this was just a couple of years after the Avengers came out, which was already an unprecedented thing in itself to have all these franchises come together for this single superhero assembly. And so I, I think that it's the times have changed and Marvel has even more of a draw than they did back then that they don't necessarily need to do stuff like this to support the rest of their things. They're just counting on and that their fans and, and even a lot of general audiences are with them and are watching all these things and they'll connect the dots themselves, you know, cause they're, they're starting to dig into some of the most obscure things, you know, in Marvel comics, things that, you know, only, big comic book comic book nerds were acquainted with you know the mm-hmm. fact the fact that general audiences know the likes of, of thanos and and captain marvel and things like this uh is wild because they, these were characters that you know no one necessarily was familiar with before so i think now marvel is just such a huge presence in pop culture that this kind of introduction you know is something that just comes about naturally because of how everything is interconnected and it's not necessarily something that you have to uh, shoehorn in, which I felt like I feel like these shorts would would have been for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the list of the Marvel one shots, and it looks like the last one was produced in 2014. I mean, aside from the those shorts that you're mentioning um, with the the Thor. Uh, yeah, because those stuff. weren't those weren't technically they weren't labeled as one shots, but like right. they, you know they still are little short films. So, I, what do you think about the idea of of one shots in a universe now where these Disney plus shows exist. Like, do you think that, you know, cause I used to think like, Oh, maybe they're putting these one shot things on pause and they'll, they'll bring them back, you know, at a point where they decide that they need them. But now I'm wondering, like, was this just a little thing that happened for like a couple years there? And it was just, you know, we're never going to see another Marvel branded one shot again because Disney plus exists. And there's, I don't know, like on, on one hand I could see, uh, Feige and the rest of his team saying like, okay, you know, any of these little stories that we wanted to tell in a one shot, we could tell in a show. Or on the other hand, I could say, I could see them going, yeah, now we have this giant repository, the streaming service where we can make anything that we want, even if it's a 10 minute short film, just drop it down for anybody to see. So what do you think about the future of one shots at, at Marvel, Brad? You know, I don't know. Uh, every now and then someone asks the executives at Marvel, you know, whether it's Victoria Alonso uh, or Stephen Broussard or Kevin Feige, if they if there's ever a chance of bringing back one shots. And it's usually the kind of like, you know, never say never kind of thing or it's something we would love to do. It's just a matter of finding the time. And I, I think it's honestly, you know, the fact that they're just so busy working on feature films and now Disney plus shows and this kind of stuff that no one's really thinking of those kinds of small, you know, stories to just kind of like fill in these little gaps or just exist like on the outskirts of the Marvel cinematic universe. That's like their ambition has outgrown the, the format in a way or something. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like, like those kinds of things would just be like, you know, just, just kind of a little bit of noise and unnecessary when they can, they already have the ability to do, to make essentially anything in the Marvel cinematic universe matter at this point. So, you know, why, mm-hmm. why use your resources to tell a little tiny story that probably isn't going to have any real impact on, you know, future installments of the MCU. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. We have a ton of great stuff about Dune right now, if you're interested in that, diving into that movie from a bunch of different angles. Uh, you can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.